0: Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. This weekend is take us to a place where we understand what gospel living means. And uh, last night we kind of... I hope, laid kind of an expositional and theological ground uh, on which to build. This morning, I want to take kind of a practical lens and offer uh, some guidance as to what this gospel living, promise-claiming, living-by-faith life might look like, and I, I hope to flesh that out a little bit, and then uh, tonight and tomorrow we want to add more pieces. But these all kind of hang together, and so I hope... Uh, You can keep all these pieces kind of integrated as we uh, as we keep going through the weekend. Um, I'm going to suggest in the book of Galatians, there are three ways we might live. Let's take, for example, the command, love one another. We all know that, right? The Bible says we should love one another. And uh, and we should. There are three ways I think we can respond to this command. The first is, all right, I got to love, love, love. I'm going to love brother. I love you. Not really, but I'm going to try sister. I'm going to try to love you. But what you notice about the law is just because I command you to love somebody that does not make you a more loving person. And probably just makes you feel more guilty or feel more pressured. But that does not in itself cause you to be a more loving person, no matter how much. I tell you to love, or the Scripture tells you to love. It doesn't change you. Also, more core to the problem is we cannot love as God commands us to love. I mean, for any of us who've tried to love, you find out that uh, that we're actually not very loving. <laughs> we're actually very selfish and self-centered and self-serving and manipulative. And so here's this command to to love each other. If we were to really love each other, that would mean, well, that would mean whenever anything goes well. If I hear that a uh, harvest is exploding and planting all these churches, and Pastor Dave has become like the next Billy Graham of the Chicago area, and I would just say. Praise the Lord, hallelujah! And there would be no jealousy in my heart because I just love Pastor Dave and I just want to see God use him even if I just humbly serve in my little corner of Philadelphia. I mean that, right? I mean, but truth of the matter is that that wouldn't be the case. There'd be a little bit of, little bit of, uh, you know, come on, Lord, what about me attitude. But you see, that just shows I'm not that loving. We'd never get critical. We'd always be generous hearted. And the only reason why we wouldn't be more generous in action is because, not because we don't want to give, but because we realize that's not always good for the other person. And so because we love them, sometimes we'll, we won't we will always give. But in our hearts, we want to give. I mean, it means we're always praying for people. It means we don't worry about what they think about us. There's this one great line uh, John Ortberg said, I spend so much more energy trying to look like I'm loving than I, I spend actually trying to love. And I thought that was a great line. I try so hard to look like I'm loving instead of actually trying to love because what I really care about is how I look, not whether I really care. I, you, you expose all that and you realize, love one another for crying out loud. We, uh, we fail. We're, we're, we're not even close. I, I, I liken it to like, If heaven depended on me becoming a championship sumo wrestler, I might as well just like live like the devil now because it's just never gonna happen, you know. I mean, it's just it's ridiculous. I mean, it's not even a it's not even a pipe dream. I mean, there's just no way. I mean, there's just no way I could ever be a loving person the way scripture commands me to be a loving person. The legalistic approach, all right, I'll just try harder, is is ridiculous. The only reason why we entertain it is because. What we do is we take God's command and we lower it to some kind of almost attainable goal. We lower God's command so that it's almost within arm's reach. And then we tell ourselves, you see, if you just try hard enough, you can do it. But if we understood God's commands, we'd realize, I mean, it's like an ant jumping to the moon. I mean, there's just there's just no way it's ridiculous. I mean, how would we? the the thought of trying to keep God's law would be absurd. Our problem is that we drastically underestimate God's standard. We drastically underestimate God's righteousness, God's holiness. And so in Galatians, to even try to keep God's law is arrogant. It's arrogant. It just shows we don't really understand his holiness and we don't understand our depravity. It's just ridiculous. It's it's a joke. It's just absurd. All right. So that's one response. The other response is Bible says, love one another. And we say, well, it's not about loving one. It's not about fulfilling the law, doing the law. You know, I don't have to love one another. Love one another. Forget it. I, I, I don't, I'm not gonna love one another. I shouldn't even try. Isn't that what you just said, Pastor Paul? To even try is arrogant? Well, I'm not arrogant. You see, I'm not even gonna try. That is called sin. <laughs> I mean, that's just blatant, raw, uncovered sin. And if that's where we're at, where we're like, we're not even, there is no love in our life, I think the more serious question is, what makes you think that you're a child of God? What evidence do you have that there is the fruit of the spirit of the gospel in your life? If we're on this laziness, licentious, I'm not even trying to love. There's no evidence of love that I'm not loving. Then, then I would humbly ask, and why do you think that heaven is your home and that God is your father? The third response, you see, so now we got a problem. Here, the Bible says, love one another. It's like, if you try, you're legalistic and arrogant. If you don't try, you just prove that you're not a Christian and that, uh, you're just sinning like the devil. So, you try, you don't try, I mean, uh, you're stuck. Now what do you do? You know? Well, the third reply, the third response is that you live in the Spirit. You live in the spirit or and I won't take the time to develop living in the spirit, living by faith, living in Christ, living in the gospel. I'd suggest for Paul in Galatians are all synonymous terms. These are not separate realities. There's just two realities living in the law or living by faith, living in the flesh or living in the spirit. These are they're, they're describing the two categories that Paul sees. And in this living in the spirit, it is now no longer I'm trying to love, but Christ in me, a new creation, a new work of God is done in our lives so that we become loving and fulfill the law of love, not by human effort, not by disobedience and laziness, but by a new creation, the work of God. So I point these out to say clearly we do not want to go down the legalistic road. We do not want to go down the lazy or licentious road. We are looking at what does it mean to live in the spirit, what does it mean to live in the gospel, live by faith, over against these other two options. Well, how do we do that? I am going to um, completely plagiarize uh, a thought from another thought from John Piper, and he suggests aptat. Now, you've never heard the word aptat because it's John Piper's made up word. But this is what aptat stands for. It stands for five things. Number one, it means acknowledge. Acknowledge that apart from Christ, I am just a hopeless, helpless, hell deserving sinner. He is the vine. I am the branch apart from him. I can do nothing that in ourselves we can do no righteous work. We cannot love. If we, if you remember last night, it is to acknowledge, "I can't swim. I can't swim. I will drown. I am not. I can't. I don't know. How, I am not able to keep the law." Now, for some of us, this acknowledgment of our brokenness, of our sinfulness, of our depravity. We probably pay lip service. Yes, yes, yes. We need to be humble. We need to know that we're sinners. Yes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yes, yes, yes. But the truth of the matter is you don't really think so. Truth of the matter is for a lot of us, we probably think we're, we're pretty good people. mean, we go to church, we came to the retreat, you know, we give to missions. We got we've gone on mission trips. We serve at the church. I mean, we're, we're good people. We don't really feel like we're really that sinful, kind of like me. For a long time, I didn't really feel like I was all that, I was a pretty good person. You look at other people in the church, you look at other people at your workplace or on your campus, and you think, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm a lot better than that, that loser over there. <laughs> I mean, that, that, uh, that sinner over there. I mean, we, and my guess is, it will probably take some painful experience. Maybe trouble at your job, trouble in your marriage, trouble with health, trouble with something. Something juicy and ugly for you to see just how sinful and messed up we really are. We'll pay lip service to it today, but God will probably have to take us through some valleys before we really come to any kind of grips with how ugly we really are inside. At my church, we have a number of married couples that are going through, I mean, this is... Not good to say, but just a lot of hardships in their marriage. It's been kind of a theme this past year. My marriage counseling uh, practice has gone up quite a bit. I'm going to start charging pretty soon because. Uh, um, uh, but what what marriage for the, for all the married folk? I mean, it's just so obvious that marriage brings out some of your best, but it brings out some of your worst, it brings out some of your worst. It's just Ugly. How selfish and bitter and angry and critical and resentful and and I've, I mean, it's, I see a lot of it now. Um, okay, I'm sorry, I'm digressing. We acknowledge that you're sinful. Some of us, some of us, um, it may take a lot. If, you, if, if you're not, if you're not sure how sinful you are, ask your spouse. So am I really that bad? And they'll tell you. If you, if you're not married, ask another friend or wait till you get married, but... Trust me, you're worse than you realize. Trust me, you're a lot worse than you realize. And if I get to know you, I'll probably tell you that too. So and if you get to know me, you'll probably tell me that because that's that's the reality. We're we're worse than we realize. All right. But the other side of this is for some of us, we know we're messed up. We know we're messed up. I mean, we struggle with guilt and shame and we hide and we cover ourselves and we feel so unworthy and we feel so intimidated. You come to a retreat and you're just like, oh my goodness, you know, I don't belong here. All these nice, good Christians and man, if they only knew where I'd been, if they only knew what I'd done and there you are living in the reality of your depravity. I want to say you're, you're actually a step ahead of the the first category, but the gospel is. Is that's where you start, but that's not where you stay. There's no gospel in just groveling in your. In the realities of our sinfulness. That's where we start, but that's not where we stay. So that goes to P. We acknowledge our sinfulness, our brokenness, our our unrighteousness, and then we turn to God. We cry out, we pray and we say, Lord, please have mercy on me. A sinner, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. I was reading this one prayer book and um, if, if you'd like, I think you can spend 10 minutes on that one sentence. Just say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And you just you just stay there for a while. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. You know the parable of the the Pharisee who was at the front. Lord Jesus, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that I'm not like those tax collectors. I tithe and I give and I serve. And there is a tax collector in the back beating his chest, head bowed. Lord Jesus, Lord God, have mercy on me, sinner. You cry out to God in our sinfulness, clinging to his mercies. Praying that I cannot love. There's no way I can love. I mean, it's absurd to to, to even try to love the way you call me to love. And so I cry out, Lord, give me your spirit, produce that love in me, for without it, surely I will drown. Surely in my heart I'll kill everybody. I mean, I'm just I'm not a loving. I will manipulate, I will just serve myself, I will fail. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Uh It seems like we've got a lot of parents. I've got a six-year-old, a four-year-old, a two-year-old. And uh, number four is due this October. So for all the parents, please pray for me and my family. Because uh, <laughs> we are bracing ourselves for uh, the next big hit here with the, the diapers and the infant stuff. Um, but sometimes when I put our kids to sleep, you know, you sing. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is strong. And it really hit me. That's that's what I need to know. I am weak, but He is strong. A lot of, a lot of, I, can, I can make theology pretty complicated and all that stuff, but it really comes down to some really simple things. I'm weak, he's strong. That's kind of like one of the basic ideas of the gospel here. I'm bad, he's good. I'm weak, he's strong. I'm small, he's big. And that's why I don't trust myself and I turn to him. Because in the gospel story, I am weak and he is strong. The third piece is T for trust, where we trust in God's word. We trust in God's person. We trust in God's promises. And I'm going to camp on this T for a little while because I'm going to suggest that for a lot of us, this acknowledge and this pray to know that we're broken and sinful and to turn to God in prayer. We've heard that before. I think we, we, we even if we fail to practice it and live it out more fully, at least we understand what it means. But I'm going to suggest it's this T piece where for a lot of us, we did not grow up in churches and in homes where this faith piece was developed and fleshed out for us. So I want to camp here for a little bit. We'll go through some examples. They're sure we're all familiar with, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when you seek God first? All these things will be given to us as well. Do you really believe that? Financially, physically, emotionally, relationally for your spouse, for your children, for your future spouse, for your future children. Do we really believe that as long as we seek his kingdom first, we don't have to worry about our retirement funds. We don't have to worry about our insurances. We don't have to worry about our career staffs. Or do we try to protect all that because we don't really believe. All these things are going to be provided for us. Do you believe that? Do you believe he's going to take care of us? I won't take the time, but I've got all these like academic illustrations because when I was young, I was a nerd and I took my grades very seriously. And so it was a big deal for me to put God first in front of my studies. Some of you are like anything in front of my studies, bring it on, you know, house of the Lord anytime. But for me, that was actually a real struggle. And I felt I have all these testimonies of how when I honored him first, God, God provided even academically. Um, but I won't tell you those stories now. Instead, I want to move on to the other part, and that is... Oh, where'd it go? Don't be afraid, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you have the kingdom? And does that change anything about how you live? That you have the kingdom, and so you don't have to be afraid, oh, little flock. I'm sure we recognize this guy, right? Um, this is outdated. I acknowledge this is last year's number, but Bill Gates is worth, last year, stock market, everything has changed a little bit, so I'm sure he's gone down a little bit. But as of last year, he was worth $56 billion, making him the richest person in the world for 2007. For the 13th consecutive year, I understand for 2008, he actually, for the first time in 14 years, has dropped out of the number one slot. I don't I don't know who's number one now. If we took $56 billion in dollar bills and stacked it on top of each other, we would have a pile 3,781 miles high. 3,781 miles high. If you took that stack of bills from New York, and laid it down across the country. It would go from New York to San Francisco, and then another 1,200 miles into the Pacific Ocean. If you were Bill Gates, and you spent a million dollars a day, $100,000 breakfast, $300,000 lunch, you know... $200,000 taxi ride. I mean, how do you spend a million dollars a day? It would take him 153 years to spend his money, presuming he gets zero interest on the money he already has. $56 billion is a lot of money. Do you believe you have more? Do you believe that the kingdom Christ has given you would make Bill Gates look like, you know, oh, tip, tip the doorman. You know, what I mean, <laughs> give him a little something because he only has 56 billion. Do you believe you have the priceless kingdom of God or do you envy Bill Gates? Do you envy him or do you think he should envy you? What do you believe? Let's try another verse. First, second, Peter one says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory. And goodness. Just to simplify, he's saying, we have everything we need to live a righteous life. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he has already given you everything you need to live a righteous life? Or do you feel like I'll never get over my addictions? I'll never solve, I'll never conquer the lust problem. I'll I'll never be able to change my heart. I'll never be able to. Or do you believe that you have Everything you need to live a godly life. Or do you make excuses? Do you get discouraged? I can never live with my spouse. I can never, these kids are going to drive me crazy. There's just no way. It's impossible. Or do you believe God has forgiven you everything you, what do you believe? For me, this trusting in the promises was the missing piece. For gospel living. I knew that I had to acknowledge my sinfulness and weakness. I knew that I need to turn to the Lord in prayer. I mean, I got that. I got that from an early age. I understand that. But it was all just this fearful striving. Oh, no, I'm not good. And so, Lord, help me. Oh, I'm not good. And so, Lord, help me. But there was no promise to stand on. In fact, what was celebrated when I was growing up is you better cry and cry out to God. And you better cry out hard and desperate. You better act like, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. But there's no security. There's no promise. There's nothing I'm standing on when I'm asking. My guess is that for a lot of us, despite the fact that so much of scripture is given to us as God's promise. And a call to trust him. It is as if. They were not in our Bibles. If we could take out all the promises of Scripture for too many of us, nothing would change in our lives. We're not building our lives on a faith foundation, trusting him foundation. We're building our lives on the, now what am I supposed to do? And I better try harder to do it. Oh no, now I feel bad because I didn't do it. And I, it's as if the promises were not even part of our scripture. Let's do one more. One of my favorite. One of, if you, if you just want one promise, here's a good all purpose promise. Works wonders and, you know, lots of circum- lots of situations. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called According to his purpose. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is using not just good things, retreats, churches, pastors, small group leaders, ministries? But do you believe God is using bad things as well? God is using all things for our good. When we get sick, When our kids get sick, when they don't eat, when they have eczema, when they're runny nose, when we lose our job, when someone has stolen our cell phones. Do you believe when you're stuck in traffic that God is working for your good? Do you believe that? When you're struggling with lust or loneliness, or you're jealous of other people, or do you believe that God is working for your good, or do we just complain and get upset? And grumble. Do we believe God is working all things for our good? See, these words are easy to say, but most of us, we live in reality where life is not always so good. At our own church, we recently had a young, young twenties girl, uh, had to get brain surgery because she has a tumor in her brain stem. And, uh, so here she is, she's a young 20-year-old something, 20-something-year-old, going through brain surgery. Uh, right now, her left side is slightly paralyzed because um, they had to scrape so much off of her brain stem, and it scraped away some of the nerves, and it's going to be a while before she gains any sense back on her left side. We have numerous couples that have struggled with infertility, numerous couples that have struggled with miscarriages, We've had, as I mentioned, numerous couples that have gone through serious marriage problems. I mean, police involvement, bags packed, lawyers called. I mean, some big, not your garden variety, we had a fight. But I mean, you know, like we had a real fight. We had uh, one couple where through the pregnancy, they went in for the ultrasound and they found fluid in the lungs. And uh, the doctors were saying um, that there is no situation that they're aware of that could explain why there would be fluid in the lungs except for scenarios that were, quote, incompatible with life. They were basically told this baby will, if the baby survives the pregnancy, the baby will die when it's born. And there they are wrestling with, God, you gave us a baby just to take it away. In those times, can you say, and I believe that in all things, God is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Do you believe that? On a, on a smaller note, uh, smaller scale, from uh, my wife and I, we have three little boys, six, four, and two. And for those, all the parents of boys... I have compassion on you. At our church, all the little girls, they just sit quietly, play with their dolls, you know, color at the table. My boys are, like, jumping off the sofa, jumping off the stairs. They're, like, tearing the house apart. I got three of them. And then this fourth one was actually not part of the plan. It was um, a big surprise. Let's just say a big surprise. And uh, after three boys, I have to confess. I was kind of rooting for a girl. And we found out that we are having... A boy. Four boys. That's a lot of boys. And uh, I'll have to say my wife is feeling pretty overwhelmed. I'm feeling pretty overwhelmed. But I honestly have to say, this child was not our idea. Uh, there are a lot of reasons no need to go into why we should not have had this child. <laughs> you can figure out like why we think we should not have had this child. We were motivated to stop. But God gave us a child and God gave us a boy. And he's a good father who gives good gifts to his children. And even though humanly I would write the story another way, I have to believe this is where my theology meets my life. I have to believe this is a good gift. And I receive it as a good gift with thanksgiving. Because I believe that God does work all things for the good of those who love it. Do you believe that promise? Not only do you believe, but does that change how you view your life? Does that change your perspective? Because it's not enough just to recite the verse. Does Does that actually make a difference? Are we living in the promises? And has that changed us? So that, let's go. Let's use the example of a marriage conflict. Here you are, you know, you're fighting with them. maybe Maybe, uh, you know, even on the way to the retreat. How many times did I tell you, get the kids to the... Da, 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 da. You know, every time you go to church, I you know. Then you walk into church, you act like, praise the Lord, everything is wonderful. I'll never... I don't know. You know, you're fighting all the time. And let's suppose you were fighting on the way. Of course, none of you would do this, of course. But let's just suppose, hypothetically, you're fighting. Do you really believe that God is working for your good? Or do you think this is like an agent of the enemy trying to destroy your Christian life? You're fighting, you're angry, you're upset, you feel so wrong, you feel so mistreated, you feel so rejected, you feel so disrespected. And then you remember Romans 8, 28, and you say, Lord, you are sovereign and you are good. What good are you trying to do right now? What good are you trying to do? Are you trying to expose my own selfishness and pride, my own impatience and lack of Christian character? Are you just trying to show me how ugly I am inside? Are you trying to show me what my idols are? That I care more about what people think of me, and so I want to look good, and that's why I'm so upset at my spouse. Am I, am I, or am I, I'm so, I, I idolize the love of my spouse so much that any sign or hint of rejection like this, throws me like off and my world is falling apart? Are you exposing my idols or are you trying to teach me about what forgiveness means? Are you trying to teach me what grace is supposed to look like and how it's supposed to feel? What good are you trying to work in me now? Or do we just get upset and complain and get discouraged and get angry? Because you see, If we really believe that God is working all things for our good, then even when things are not going well, we can give thanks. We can be joyful in all circumstances, right? You got that command, right? Be joyful All, rejoice always. Be thankful in all circumstances. Scripture is not. Be joyful always. Pray continuously. Give thanks in all circumstances. Alright, I'm gonna be joyful always. Joyful, joyful, joyful. Come on everybody. Joyful, joyful, joyful. Let's pray and all. Give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. Artificially trying to do it. That's not gospel living. Do you understand? That's just legalistic self-effort, self-reliance, good works. We're trying to fulfill the law. Versus, God is always working for my good. And everything that happens is for my good. Then I can rejoice. Then I can give thanks. Not because of effort, but because of faith. And in so doing, you fulfill the law. That is the only way you fulfill the law. All right, so we trust in God's promises, and I place that as the centerpiece of this gospel living. Fourthly, then we act. Act. It's not enough to say, all right, God commands us to love one another. And so I'm just going to believe that God loves me. And I'm going to believe that God works all things for my good. And I'm going to believe that God gives me the kingdom. No, now we go and love. We know that we're not loving. We know that we're selfish. Our sins are exposed. Our idols are exposed. We know all that. But now we go and love because we believe. That's when God says, ask, though, though, though you are evil fathers, you know how to give good gifts to your children. Ask your heavenly father and he will give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. I believe, Lord, you are a good father and you love to give good gifts. And you will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. And so I'm asking and I believe that you'll give the Holy Spirit that produces love. And so we act in faith, not act in self-reliance. Or to use yesterday's analogy, you go back to the river. You know you can't swim. You know you can't swim. But now you're going back into the river saying, Lord Jesus, I am weak, but you are strong. (laughs) Lord Jesus, you work all things for my good. Lord Jesus, you have given me the kingdom. Lord Jesus, all things will be provided for me. And so I'm going into the water knowing I am not loving, but believing that you make me loving. And we go back into the water. As an act of faith not as an act of self-reliance. Let me give the example of a... Let's talk about giving for a little bit. There are... If I said right now, okay, um, we want to collect a special offering for uh, missions work in Kenya, and uh, so please, you know, there are a lot of hurting people. There's an AIDS pandemic Uh, and we are so blessed in America. We are in the top percent of the world's, you know, living standards. And here they are living in poverty, dying. Come on, people give a little bit. Jesus died on the cross for you. You don't want to give anything to anybody? All right. Come on. Here we are enjoying a nice air conditioned retreat. So I'll just lay on the guilt and the shame and the obligation. I'll even throw in a few verses. Where are those ushers? Let's collect that offering right now. And you actually do give. Why do you give? Maybe you say, oh my goodness. Oh, those poor people. You know, if I were there, I'd be really bummed and uh, I wish I would wish someone would give to me. Or you think, you know, it's the right thing to do. It's the Christian thing to do. The Bible says to give. I shouldn't be so selfish. Come on, give a little bit. Or you think uh, there's an obligation now. I mean, I have a moral responsibility for having been entrusted with so much I should give. Or, uh, look, I want to support the church. I want to support Pastor Dave. And so I'll give. All of those scenarios. In all of those Scenarios. You give because you're a good person. You're a compassionate person. You're a responsible person. You're a moral person. You're a good team player. You give. And in that giving story, you're the hero. You're a good person. Pat on the back. That's not gospel living. That giving, I would like to suggest, honors you, does not honor God. Instead, what is the giving that comes from faith? It is to say, and God will supply all my needs as I seek him first. He will take care of me and provide for all my needs. He has already given me far more than what I deserve. I'm always getting so much more than I deserve. I'm always receiving. I'm never giving. He is so faithful a provider, so faithful a protector, so faithful a refuge. He has delivered me from hell itself. And even today, he gives me all these mercies and all these blessings. He's always blessed me and given to me. And so now that there are other needs and God says, Paul, I want you to care for them too. I'll give. Because in my story, God is a hero. And because of who he is, I can give. Now, do you see the difference? Scenario A, I give. That's the story of a good person trying to do more good things. Scenario B, I give because of the story of what God has done for me. That giving magnifies God. Scenario A, giving, non-Christians give like that. There is no God in that giving. It's just good people doing good things. Scenario B, this is the giving that is the expression of faith that magnifies the goodness of God, the gospel story of all that He has done for me. And so I can give. I am freed to give. My giving is an act of faith. My giving is an expression of my faith, not Good people doing more good things. So you act. If there is no act, I think it only proves we're not acknowledging, praying, or trusting. If there is no act, as I said before, what evidence do you have to make you think God is your Father and the Gospel is at work in your life? There's no, there's no fruit on the tree. If you just do the act without the acknowledge, pray, and trust, then I call it stapling, right? You you staple, you tape on the fruit. That's not gospel living. You don't just say, all right, I should give and I should do, I should love my neighbor. That's just legalism. Instead, it must come from, our act must come from a nurtured, inner, transformed life. In God's story, which leads finally to T, and that is to give thanks. Which is the inevitable byproduct of living in that gospel story. Is Then you give him praise and thanks for all the good that he continues to do in and through you. Because he gets all the credit because he is the hero. Because it's his story of what he has done for us and how that has changed us. He, we give him thanks. We give him praise. Gone are the days when you act and you think, well, I'm such a good Christian. I bet Pastor Dave is really happy to have me at his church. I think he'll want to ask me to be a leader soon. My goodness, maybe even an elder. Wow. I mean, I'm so amazed. Yeah. Gone are those days when our good works glorify ourselves. And now we say our good works is to the praise of our God because there would be no good works were it not for this God. We give him praise, we give him thanks. Aptat. Now, I want to be careful here, because for some of us, now we know what to do. We're going to aptat. We're going to acknowledge, pray, trust, act, thanks. Go! Pray! Trust! Acknowledge, thanks! Meditate! Do it! Do it! Do it! And I'm going to say, you see, you, did do, 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 do you catch it? We can be self-reliant in our pursuit of gospel living. Do, 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 do you understand what I'm saying? That self-reliant instinct goes deep. Cause you can't even act out except for the grace of God. Do, 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 do you understand? You can't acknowledge your sin. You can't trust Him. You can't just, I'm gonna trust Him. Trust, trust, trust. I'm gonna trust Him. Well, what do you... Until and unless God shows His glory, how will you trust Him? How will your heart rest in you? And so you need to aptat to aptat. <laughs> Do you understand what I'm saying? Even in this we are helpless. Even in this it is a pipe dream to think that we can live by faith by our effort. Even in this is God's mercy to us. Having said that, there are human means to nurture such a life of gospel living in faith, and on that I want to zoom back in on the trust. If I were to give you just one application for this entire weekend, it is to meditate on, pray through, claim God's promises. To live in the world, Romans eight twenty eight and Luke twelve and uh, Matthew six is to and live in the Psalms. It is to live in that story of who he is and what he's done for us. Just a few personal notes before I lead us in some prayer, and that's this. For many years, I've been uh, um, in ministry. I'm older than I look, but uh, I'm not that old, but I'm older than I look. Um, For many years in my pastoral ministry, uh, whenever people would say negative things, My response was, generally, in my more godly moments, you're right, I'm not a perfect man. Pray for me, I'll try to do better. In my more ungodly moments, I get defensive, bitter, angry, discouraged, and all that stuff. But in my more godly moments, I actually try to take it very constructively, and my response would be, basically, I'll try harder. I'll try harder to be a better leader. I'll try harder to be a better shepherd. I'll try harder to be a better counselor. I'll try harder to be more available. I'll try harder. You're right. I'm not. I'll try. You're right. I'm not. I'll try. And in the earlier years, I think that was very well intended and I'm trying. But over time, I realized. You're right, I'm not, and I probably will never be. (laughs) You know, this isn't working. The I'll try isn't getting me very far. And that's when the defensiveness sets in and the, and the, hey, and what about you? You know, (laughs) the counterattack and uh, like all that other, all that other godly pastoral response. (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm a hell-deserving sinner just like the rest of you. Uh, But more recently in gospel living, I feel like what God has taught me is, Paul, your problem is not your problem. Your problem is, you need to trust me. I made you. I'm teaching you. I'm leading you. I'm guiding you. And this is my church. It's my church. This is my bride. I died for my bride. I love my church. And I've called you, and I'm going to use you, and I'm going to train you, and I'm going to lead you. So that now my battle is not I have to fix my weaknesses. My battle is yes, Lord, I'm going to trust that you're going to teach me, and lead me, and grow me, and you're going to take care of your church. Do you understand? And out of that battle to trust and believe comes an entirely different response when the criticisms come and the weaknesses are exposed. Because now that's not the problem. That's not the problem. Yeah, I've got weaknesses. If if I were your pastor, you'd go, oh, yeah, bring Dave back. You know, (laughs) this other character's got a load of his own problems. But it's in trusting and believing that God cares for me too. God's working in me. He's still working on me, changing me, leading me. So my problems are not problems because my God is my God. My focus is just to trust, to grow deeper and sweeter, not in becoming the perfect pastor, but in just resting in his arms and in his goodness and in his sovereign and good control. Ideally, I feel like what I should do is to take each of you one by one and take the public ministry of the word to the private ministry of the word where we counsel each of you with your problems and your needs because each of you has your own battle to trust. Your own gospel, personalized gospel. I don't have time to do that. But I'm going to ask you to consider where, where is your battle to trust? What are you not believing in? How we're going to do part of that is I'd like us to have some time to pray. And uh Cindy, if you wouldn't mind, where'd you go? Grab some friends, and we're gonna pass out a bunch of promises. You'll get one of these sheets. And uh I create a kind of little cheat sheet, all right? You don't even have to try to figure them out. I'll I'll, I'll type the, I typed ru- I wrote here they are. Well, some of them anyway. And um, what I'd like to do is to take some time to pray through God's promise. And while these are being passed out, actually what we could do is, I'd like us to get into groups of four. I'm going to be kind of uh, kind of uh, picky about this. I don't want to see groups of five. I don't want to see groups of three as much as it's possible if we can try to get into groups of four. And uh, even if it means meeting some new people, I think that would be a great situation. I believe God is in control, and so he will put you in some good groups. So go ahead. Why don't you go ahead and um, you can can move the chairs. I'll give you permission to move the chairs, make little circles, move to the side if you please. But uh, if you would all find yourselves in groups of four. Oh, Heavenly Father. We lift our eyes to the hills. Where does our help come from? Our help comes from you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you. Wherever you go. And my God will meet all your needs according to the glorious riches we have in Christ. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Harvest, he cares for you. Lord, we cling to and rest in all that you are and all that you do for us. Oh, that you would open our eyes and strengthen our faith and embolden our hearts and free us. Give us gospel freedom that Galatians speaks of. That we would love you and love others in the freedom of that gospel. I pray that you would lead this church, you would lead us all to a greater vision of your worth and of your goodness and glory. That you would be honored in our praise and in our lives do it for your own namesake we ask this in Christ Jesus name amen thanks for listening to the sermon from harvest community church if you'd like more information or have any questions or comments check out our website at harvest-community.org thanks for listening